Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Small Biz Gone Viral, an attempt via podcast to humanize the impact COVID-19 is having on small businesses and the humans that run them. I'm Grant LeBeau, your host, and I'm just a boy standing in front of a pandemic trying to keep a business alive. This episode, we're going to talk with Ben Saper, a New Orleans immigration attorney and landlord in the short-term vacation rental world, a multifaceted industry that over the last decade has become a local hot-button issue in communities all over the country, which of course has only been multiplied by COVID. But first, our fun fact. Today's fun fact, the UK government will begin splitting the tab up to 10 British pounds at participating restaurants and pubs Monday through Wednesday, August 3rd through 31st. Think of it as a publicly sponsored happy hour, a sign of things to come as governments around the world try to stretch a dollar to prop up their economies. Speaking of economies, one of my favorite subjects, let's add some numbers and do facts and figures. Beginning with COVID-19, until July, the world hadn't yet broken the 200,000 mark for daily new cases. Now, in mid-July, 200,000 is the daily benchmark. Put differently, it's getting worse, not better, and we are nowhere near the end of this thing. Silver lining, though, treatment is getting better, which means the mortality rate is currently waning. This means the odds of any individual getting COVID, especially in the U.S., is increasing, but the odds of dying once contracting COVID, decreasing. This is translating to a steady worldwide daily death rate around 5,500. There are now 4.6 million active cases, more than 1.6 million of which are in the U.S. Keep in mind, the United States only has about 1 20th of the world's population, but a third of its COVID cases. Or for those of you who like percentages, we have about 4.2% of the world's population and over 30% of its COVID cases. On to the economy. I personally think we are on the edge of a cliff as we look at expiring additional unemployment benefits, expiring PPP monies, and record COVID cases leading states like Texas and California to reverse course on reopenings, introducing regulations around what kinds of businesses can and can't operate and with what restrictions. Essentially, governments are trying to find ways to stop COVID growth without killing the economy. The Dow Jones sits at 25,700, widen out a month, and it's down about 5%. Widen out three months, and it's up almost 40%. Widen out six months, and it's down nearly 15%. So what does all this mean? It means there was a huge crash initially, followed by a big recovery, and then a slow slide into a steady state of new normal as this thing drags on. TBD on how this story ends, but of course, we'll be watching. My guest today is Ben Saper, immigration attorney by day for Catholic Charities in New Orleans, and landlord by, well, by all the time. As this show is meant to humanize the business complexities brought on by COVID, I thought it would be interesting to have on a landlord because of the turmoil in the rental market brought on, obviously, by rapid massive unemployment. And there have been eviction moratoriums put in place but without direct government support, individual landlords in particular are being put in a really tough spot. Ben will help walk us through the roller coaster of short-term vacation rental management, 
a roller coaster that basically hit a brick wall back in March and has inspired upheaval in the broader short-term rental market. So, put your hands together for Ben Saper. Hey, Ben, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Really excited. You and I are, are, are both doing this before our real day jobs. And before we get too much into your uh, existence as a landlord, I want to establish you as a good person first. So tell me, uh, t- tell us just a little bit about what, what it is, what your day job is and how you got there. The, what I do now will make me sound like a good person. So I'm, I work at Catholic Charities. I've been an immigration attorney for uh, the last two years. Um, but when I finished law school, I went, I did a clerkship for a year in New Orleans with a judge. Um, and then I went into work at big New York corporate law firms for four years. Uh, and I was miserable. It, those places are not fun to work. Uh, you work all the time. And I felt really bad about serving corporations, big corporations, uh, and not really feeling like my work had an impact on, on people who actually need help. Um, and so the combination of kind of not, you know, working too hard and not having a life and not feeling proud of what I do um, led me to quickly kind of start looking for exit routes. Um, and I knew I had been doing as much pro bono immigration work as possible at the firms and really loved that work. I, I speak Spanish and I, I love working with clients, uh, going to immigration court. Um, and so I started looking for a way that I could do that full time. Of course, um, I'm not sure how many of your listeners know immigration lawyers generally do not get paid very well. They're in the, the teacher, kindergarten teacher kind of salary range. And, and I'm based in New Orleans, um, and so there's just there's just not a lot of funding for immigration attorneys. Um, and so I started to figure out if there was some other way uh, that I could kind of have a side hustle. Um, and so I'm sure we're going to get into it, but that's that's what led me to the the real estate and the Airbnb stuff. I, as a kind of a, a casual observer of of immigration. Uh, law in terms of like basically just hearing it when it comes up on on NPR about how it, how incredibly understaffed it is how there it seems to be like there are various court rulings whether about whether people are or are not entitled to an attorney at all there seems to be a continuing war on asylum seekers so all of all sorts of things that I'm sure make your job interesting on a on a day to day basis and. I think would probably tug at anyone's heartstrings. I'm sure the the cases that you're seeing um, just day after day after day. I represent mostly teenagers uh, from Central America. And so, yeah, it's been horrible. Like, as you were saying that, it kind of made me think like maybe the previous three years of the Trump administration and my day job kind of prepared me a little bit for COVID because it was just and maybe this is everyone too, and anyone who's working in public interest at least, every day was was terrible news. And you know, the stuff that the general public saw would be like a court decision or the attorney general issuing some horrible precedent in immigration law, and that stuff, and the kids in cages, obviously, that stuff would come up on the national news, but for every one of those, there's like 10 other things at least that make it harder for immigrants to be in this country and harder for their advocates to get them relief and, and uh, 
succeed uh, in winning their cases. So it's been it's been horrible. We got to vote that guy out. I know this isn't a political podcast, but just the the inhumane things he's doing to immigrants is is horrible. Well, first of all, Ben, I guess thank you for caring so much. I I don't want to get all sappy, but the world is genuinely a better place with you in it. Uh, One of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, Ben, is because I think that landlords are being looked at in the media as a single group of land barons, the monopoly man incarnate, basically villainized as a bunch of Jeff Bezos's squeezing out every last dollar, regardless of the human cost. Those people definitely 100% exist, but there are two sides to every coin, and I think it's important to remember the human beings uh, impacted when the government imposes things like eviction moratoriums without any sort of commensurate financial aid. This podcast is designed to humanize the COVID experience of business owners, landlords among them. And so with that said, can you describe your early experience and investments in New Orleans real estate as you seek to build a revenue stream that will allow you the financial flexibility to work your dream job of pro bono, pro bono immigration attorney? I started out, I, I live in New Orleans. I bought a, a shotgun double is what we call them. They're, they're basically in New York, they would call them railroad apartments. They just shoot, you can shoot a shotgun from the front door out the back door. So it's just room, 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 room. It's a lot of our housing stock. So I bought, I bought a double shotgun in 2016, lived on one half. Um, and decided that I would try Airbnb out the other half uh, because I had some friends that were doing it. It seemed easy. I like talking to people, so it'd be fun to host guests. Um, and just started that out. And for about a, a year and a half, that was it. It was paying my mortgage and paying me about $1,000 a month on top of that after paying all the expenses for the whole house. So I was like, this is great. I, you know, maybe I can quit my corporate law job if I have another one of these. Um, and so I found another, another shotgun double uh, in a more uh, centrally located part of the city that's closer to the French Quarter. Um, and I renovated that one and uh, Airbnb'd out both sides of it. It's commercially zoned, which is required in New Orleans in order to be able to do that, to, to Airbnb a whole house. Um, and so then with, those, with that house and then the half of my house, I had three listings um, and they were doing, they were doing really great uh, for, for 2019. I think uh, I, on average, I was, I was getting about 17 or $18,000 a month in revenue um, and then a, a bunch of expenses, but, but making a, a, a really nice profit and um, kind of Grow, be, putting me in a place where I could look to, to grow the business if I wanted to. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's, that's basically how I got started. It was not a passion project. I know I've listened to a lot of your episodes and it's really fun to hear people, yourself included, who are excited about healthy food or whatever it is that they're interested in and then bring that to other people. Um, like we've already alluded to, my, my goal was to be able to do immigration law for a career um, and have, and, and maybe someday be a stay at home dad for a little while, try other things, start nonprofits, advocate for bike lanes in my city, you know, all the fun stuff we all want to do. Um, and so that's, that's how I got into it. And I did, I've enjoyed, you know, talking with guests and there's parts and renovating the house. Parts of that are really fun. Other parts make you want to shoot yourself, but 
um, there have been parts of it that are fun, but I think that kind of sets me apart from a lot of your listeners in that this is something uh, that, that's not really uh, at the core of my identity, but it's something that's helped me live a better life. Right. And I would imagine probably that as it's grown, it becomes l- probably less and less fun as you deal with more and more day-to-day issues. Yeah. So as it's grown, um, there there has been a lot more uh, work. Obviously, you have more listings, more property that's more cleaning, more renovations, more repairs. Um, but at, before COVID, I was doing a good job of, of trying to automate a lot of things and hiring people to help me um, so that I could really focus on my, my day job and, and the things that I care a lot about. Um, of course, as things have gotten t- more tougher economically uh, with COVID, um, I, I feel less able to do that, to hire out and, and spend a lot of money on uh, making the business run itself. Uh, so I've gotten more involved in the day to day. So basically, you're you're working tirelessly as a uh, immigration attorney, and then in between cases, you're trying to manage multiple properties. Yeah, I, and I've still yes, that's true. I've still I've still you know needed to rely on my team, um, and I, a lot of the more, the work has been like sleepless nights and stress, mostly in March and April. Uh, but but yeah, it's it's felt like it's been a heavier burden on my shoulders, obviously, since COVID, as I'm sure everyone. Uh, let's see. So f- the the general timeline that we use on on this show is March first, uh, being the start of COVID. So this being a leap year, February 29th, we'll say it was like the last blissful day when COVID was offshore and and someone else's problem. Uh, so at that point in time. What were your kind of hopes and dreams for 2020 from a managerial standpoint of your properties? Yeah, so uh, 2019 was a great year. Um, and to the point, as I mentioned before, I started to think about it expanding. And in November, I purchased uh, a third house, another shotgun uh, double. And that house needed a complete renovation. Uh, and then uh, in February on Valentine's Day, I closed on another double house in New Orleans, another duplex, um, which was already renovated and was pretty much ready to go. Um, so I got excited. I took on some debt and I was ready to double my business basically by adding four new listings in, uh, the, the November one was, was under renovation. Uh, and the one that I bought in February was in the process of being furnished. So that I could, then I would have eight listings. I think that's a, a great place to hit the pause button before we move on to our mid-COVID segment. It's time, as always, to hit on our guest's unsponsor. The unsponsor is an awesome business run by awesome people who produce an awesome product that deserves a shout out and optimally the patronage of our listeners. Um, so. Before we get to the adjustments you've made and the kind of the, the heavier burden that you've uh, come to bear so consistently, who is this show not brought to us by? This show is not brought to you by The First 72, um, which is actually a nonprofit organization in New Orleans. Um, I know I'm swerving a little bit, uh, but uh, they're just doing really great work. It's a nonprofit that uh, started out helping uh formerly incarcerated people 
deal with just the first three days after they get out, figuring out how to get ID cards and get social services and you just reintegrate into society. And now uh, we'll talk about it a little more going further, uh, but they help find people uh, places to live and jobs. And a lot of times these are men that have been in prison for 35 years in Louisiana. We're basically the prison capital of the world. Uh, And so there's a lot of people in there that just have done their time and need help reintegrating into society as as older, middle-aged people. And this nonprofit is doing uh, great work with them. So the first 72, uh, please take a look. I think it's the first 72 with the actual numbers.org. Um, and they're, they're really doing great stuff and could use any help that people, uh, are able to provide. Wow. Being known as the prison capital of the world, uh, not a great, uh, single identifier. Man, that, (laughs) that is tough. Uh, and obviously incredibly relevant as we talk about, uh, kind of the, the prison industrial complex and as it relates to the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and, and again, that could, that's. Uh, a whole nother podcast series. So um, we'll, we'll keep, we'll keep things here to, uh, to the, the, the humanizing of, of COVID uh, uh, businesses. But um, I, you had an, another guest, or uh, sorry, a, another unsponsor uh, that you wanted to, to touch on too. So this is going to be a, a two for one. Um, and it's one that I, I fully support, even though the one that, this one is specific to you. I think that this is a, a great thing to support um, uh, nationwide if possible. And that is uh, Major Acre Farms. Can you tell us just a, a briefly about that as well? Yeah. So Major Acre Farms is uh, another uh, Louisiana-based uh, organization that's uh, providing great organic local food. Um, and I would uh, we've been getting their uh, boxes that they do once a week with all the delicious fresh eggplants and watermelons and berries, basil, we've been making some great pesto with that basil. Um, so yeah, I would, I'd highly recommend people if, if, if a major acres isn't around you, you know, make sure you're buying local food. It's more delicious. You live longer and you're uh, supporting a, a great local cause. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. It's a, a great way to, to infuse cash into your local economy, which benefits you uh, directly in terms of uh, local municipal tax base, uh, you know, creating jobs, and then also from a, a very uh, uh, selfish health standpoint, yeah, eat, eat local. You're getting like that fresh, amazing produce. Uh, it, you, you can't go wrong. And on that super happy note, let's go ahead and talk about how COVID has impacted your business. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the cliff, the falling off the cliff. Yeah, so March, uh, yeah, March is like the best month of the season for New Orleans. It's beautiful there. There's tons of conventions and festivals. So I, in 2019, I had my best month ever with over $30,000 in revenue. It was like incredible, um, which is way higher than my average. but. Uh, and then this year, the first nine days of March were great. I think I made like almost $10,000 in revenue those first 10 days. And then zero for the next, uh, the rest of March and April, every reservation just was canceled. My phone, uh, as Airbnb hosts around the world, no, your phone was just constantly buzzing with cancellation, cancellation. Um, and of course, like, of course you have to refund people because it's COVID. Like you don't want people traveling. My first instinct was like, let's 
let's deal with this pandemic. Uh, everyone should stay home. And so, yeah, just issuing full refunds and, and, and not really know, knowing where to go. I had that renovation going of the house that I bought in November. Um, and I was planning to pay with, pay for that with the proceeds of, of Airbnb, uh, stays during March and April and May, uh, just from a, a like a, a semantic st- standpoint, um, because I'm unfamiliar with how the the timing of getting paid is for um, working with Airbnb. When someone, if someone books a, a, a booking with you for uh, let's say 30 days from today, when do you get paid? I would get paid like two or three days after they check in. So, okay. So yeah, so when when I'm giving those full refunds, it's not money has not come into my account yet. It's just like clicking a button on Airbnb. Actually, I wish it was that simple, but it's it's more or less just telling Airbnb, "Don't give me the money. Give it back to the guest who's now not coming." Okay, got it. That that makes sense. So I guess in a a glass half full way of looking at it, at least you hadn't already spent the money that you then literally would have to refund. Uh, I think right. that that would be a tough position, but like you said, you you had acquired this this property back in November. It was mid renovation in March. Yeah, it had been demo like all the demolition had been done, uh, taking out like old floors and stuff, and they had done framing for the walls. So it's basically an empty house with like you know wood framing. Oh, you could kind of see that would be a bathroom later. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was just gutted and I was getting ready to have them start painting the exterior and getting ready to do the floors and put up drywall and all that good stuff. Uh, when I had to tell them, hey, I don't think I'm going to have money to pay you. So uh, unless you want to work and have me pay you way down the line, you, you should stop working. And obviously that was not a call that I was excited to make uh, to my contractor and, and knowing that he was going to have to tell his workers that. Right. I mean, from a from a personal or a personal and personnel standpoint, and obviously you as someone who uh, is empathetic to the uh, well, just empathetic, period. Um, And I I mean that in like the best possible way. uh, I know you, you must have felt kind of gutted to to have to be the bearer of that bad news, especially you know, being aware in a broader context of what was happening, knowing that, hey, not only am I going to have to let you go, but you're almost certainly not going to be finding work elsewhere uh, as things continue to snowball. So that, that's got to be rough. Um, so the so you, you hit the pause button on, on the renovations, um, something that I think is probably going to add costs to the to the total uh, renovation process because you can't just you know it, you, you're not pulling over on the side of the road when it, when you're when you're pausing construction there are going to be additional costs of like starting and stopping every single time right yeah absolutely and I didn't really I mean I feel like I was a lot of us were in this situation during that time we just had no idea what was going to happen if. Um, in the world. And so I was like, well, I got to just, I can't, I'm going to pay these guys for the work they've done. And then I did that. And then we stopped. And yeah, it was just like, I don't know when I'm going to restart this or what I need to do in the interim. But yeah, it was definitely, and it definitely has added a lot of cost. Now I'm now at a point where I've restarted the renovation, but not without some squatters 
and not without some other drama. Yeah, uh, go ahead and, and and hit me with like a a quick sixty second uh, summation of the of of drama and squatters and and what the the nightmare of a um, of a property manager is. Yeah, sixty seconds is going to be tough, but I'll give it a try. So basically, March April, I'm depressed. The whole world is depressed. I kind of stopped this renovation and was a little neglectful in that it really bummed me out to uh, think about it and deal with it. Um, so I wasn't going over there to, even though it's five minutes from where I, where I live, I wasn't going over there to check on it very frequently, maybe once a week. Uh, and one Sunday morning I go in there and I start to see some suspicious signs, some clothes, some like signs that things have been stolen. The copper wiring was missing from uh, some of the plumbing. And I walk to the back and of course there's a human being sleeping in there. Um, and so I was like, Hey, you got, you gotta, you gotta wake up and go, this is my house. And he starts to get up and he's like, Oh, okay, sorry. And I was like, don't, no problem. Not going to call the cops, but just like, you can't be here. Uh, it's not safe. I don't have insurance for it. I'm sorry. And he's like, okay, well, there's people on the other side too. So I like walk through the hole in the wall and get over to the other side. And there's two more people sleeping on the other side on the floor. Um, and so I wake them up and they leave and I just tell them, Hey, you know, you, you can't, you can't do this. You can't come back. Um, and everyone agrees. They leave. Uh, of course I come back a few days later and the first guy whose name is Sammy, uh, he's back in there. Um, he's a homeless man, a former, he told me he started selling crack when he was 12, uh, and started smoking it when he was 21. So he, and of course, by now I know his whole life story. He's, he's a nice guy, but he has, diagnosed with bipolar and he is obviously struggling a little bit um and so yeah i told him i told him again uh that he he needed to leave and that i wasn't going to call the cops and if there was any way i could help him find social services i would do that and then came back a couple days later he's there again um and at that point i i didn't i just told him he he begged me to stay there and i was like okay you clean if you can keep things clean around here and make sure that no one else comes in and no one else steals from the place then you can continue sleeping here uh, until i'm able to start the renovation again and so he did that he was a pretty good uh i mean he obviously wasn't paying rent but <laughs> he was a good tenant yeah, I mean, look, at the end, it, when I restarted the renovation just a few weeks ago, it was very difficult because he, like, he has nowhere else to go. So even though he wants to be nice to me and he appreciates he, that that I let him stay there for two or three months, he uh, he has nowhere else to go. So I would I asked him to leave, and he just he, I think even to this day he's still sneaking in at night to sleep in there even as the contractors are putting up drywall and he's an African-American dude. I don't know if I'm ever going to have to call the cops if that's how this eventually ends. Like obviously that was the absolute last thing that you want to do in a situation like that. Uh, especially because he, I mean, it's just working with disadvantaged people. Like you can see if this guy had some social services, a psychiatrist, if he got back on bipolar meds, he's a smart guy. Uh, he's in his forties, like he would be fine. But anyway, um, yeah, so that's kind of ongoing, but he, he had built like up a whole bedroom and everything. We got that out of there. And, uh, and so now I think he's just probably 
slipping up a window um, when he really needs a place to sleep. And I can't tell you how, how that saga ends yet, but I've got, I got a new friend and uh, you know, uh, hopefully everything turns out all right for both of us. I'm I'm so glad you didn't adhere to my 60 second uh, request there because that is a fascinating story and I, I feel like if uh, uh, of all the of all the abandoned lots in all the world to to walk into yours uh, is probably like the the single greatest <laughs> uh, situation that someone could be in if they're going to find themselves in that situation just because again uh, of your uh, empathetic nature. Um, I, I, I do want to don't I don't don't give me too much credit here. I don't know. I mean, I mean, listen, I mean, to, to, to for a, someone to, for you to to walk on to a, a property and find uh, someone who is, a you know, legally trespassing like and, and you would be well within your American rights to to call. And it would be like the very like American thing to do to like call the cops and be like, this is my property. Get off my property. And like, no, but just to, to be understanding of what this person is going through and view them as a human. Uh, I, I just think uh, uh, says a lot. So we we can move on though, because I know you're, you're, you're. I don't want to make you too uncomfortable. Uh, just being like Ben, you're the best. So we'll move on. Uh, so you have been able to uh, to to start the renovation process again. So that's great. Um, from a, uh, a a monetary standpoint, was there ever a point in time where you felt like there was potential for you to lose a property, or was there like always kind of savings in the in in the in the um, you know, a rainy day fund. Yeah, no, definitely. I I immediately thought about okay, if I have to sell a house to to kind of uh, buoy myself, what which one would I do? And the house that's under the house that had the squatters and that's under renovation, that's been like the a big kind of disaster. The the, the neighborhood's worse than I expected. The renovations bigger than I expected. And so that would be the house that I would sell, but I talked to some real estate agents and if I had sold it, or if I, even if I sold it now, I was going to be losing at least like 30 or $40,000 in the cost that I've put into it. Wow. House and then renovating and, and probably more um, because the work that I had done, like basically the work that I had completed was demolition. So it's not like I had really improved the house. I had just like get gotten ready to change the floor plan or you had, you had ruined the house. You, you made it unlivable. <laughs> I ruined the house. Yeah. So it was just, it was obviously super stressful. Luckily, the, the house that I bought in February is going to be a great Airbnb and it was already renovated. And someday if people travel ever again, it'll, it'll be good. Um, so I was like trying to keep that in mind as I dealt with the dumpster fire of, of the other house. But yeah, so that's why I didn't sell it. I was like, oh, I'm just going to have to find money to renovate it. Because once I renovate it, I can get it refinanced and I can start listing it either as a long-term rental or a short-term rental and it'll be fine. I'm not going to make a big profit on it, but it'll keep itself near afloat. You, I know you had to make some adjustments uh, uh, you know, to the, to the business model um, of, of how you were f- basically finding tenants can uh, and and you i think in your unsponsor segment <laughs> touched on it a little bit but ha- as airbnb bookings and you know v- uh vrbo and and i don't know if you use other other listing agencies but as a catch all we'll just say airbnb 
how did you find other ways to book tenants and did you kind of stumble upon them or, or, and, and how has that uh, impacted you financially, I guess? Yes, I stumbled. The advice that we were getting was uh, from Airbnb and from just kind of the news and general trends was people weren't going to be traveling for a week into New Orleans, but maybe you could find month long or longer term stays. And so I put all my listings discounted if you were going to stay for 30 or more days. And I started to get people um, inquiring or trying to book for, for longer stays. And I believe Airbnb changed their policy, right. To allow longer term bookings, right. What what, didn't it used to be like, you could only book 29 days or something like that. And then now it's up to 90. I actually think you could always do it. Um, I don't know. Yeah. My understanding was that you could always book long term stays. It just was, at least in new Orleans, it wasn't, it wasn't common. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, Maybe they reduce their fees or something on those longer term stays. Um, but anyway, one of the people that was looking at for trying to book one of my places, someone basically inquir- like they sent you an inquiry. And I, I, I did quotation marks for that one because it's an Airbnb term of art. And she, uh, she reached out and was like a little bit cagey at first about because I was like, okay, what's the purpose of your stay? Like, are you throwing a, a month long COVID party with all your friends? Like, I need to know this up front. <laughs> and she, she eventually, she was like, oh, no, I work for a nonprofit. We're trying to find housing for uh, people that have become homeless recently um, because of the virus. And I was like, oh, great. Okay. And I later saw her email address, which had the at the first 72. So I looked up her nonprofit and I found that it was this nonprofit, which was my unsponsor, who is finding housing for formerly incarcerated people. So she didn't come straight out and tell me that. But luckily, being like the liberal snowflake that I am, I was like, that's great. I would I would love to host some formerly incarcerated people. And so she booked my one of my units for a month. And uh, I started talking to her. And she was like, you know, we have a lot of these guys are just staying at a hotel out by the airport. If you have other listings, let us know. And I I, I both liked the nonprofit and liked getting, even though it was, it's a, they're paying me a 1700 a month, which is about market rent for long-term rent. Um, so I, I rented out all four of my uh, current listings to, to that nonprofit. And so now there's two or three formerly incarcerated men living in each one of my units. And that's, has a stable kind of long-term level rent coming in. And they're taking incredible care of my properties from what I've been able to see so far. They're, they're super regimented and uh, respectful. Um, and so it's just, it's, it turned out at first, you know, you're like, oh, okay, what is this? I'm going to have criminals in my house. Like there's obviously a little bit of uh, weariness, but it's been like the best thing to happen to me. It's really keeping the business afloat and it makes me feel a little bit good. Uh, and I get to, again, meet these guys who have incredible stories and are super funny and kind. Um, and so I basically continued on that path and will continue to do that um, probably through the year um, because there's, I guess, the nonprofit is going to keep housing these guys. Um, and so, yeah, that's yeah. where I'm at. And as a uh, as an overall representation of of the expected versus real revenue, uh, how has how, how have you uh, kind of seen what what's the net effect been switching from short term to long term? Yeah, so like 
monthly short term last year i was doing about 17 to 18,000 a month with the long term renters i'm doing about 6,000 a month um the expenses are a little bit lower um which um so it's basically now i can pay my mortgage and my bills and or just about pay my mortgage and my right. bills and that's it and so it's it's not there's so many people in way worse situations if i like if that's the worst that happens to me uh knock on wood um yeah it's fine but like yeah the business is not really a profit generating business at this point it's a it's a holding pattern right yeah i mean in in all the people who i've spoken with being in a holding pattern and being able to just like keep the phrase we keep coming back to is, is just being able to keep the lights on is honestly like a, a pretty decently sized victory. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm super grateful. And like, obviously I have the two other properties that I was renovating and getting ready. Those haven't made any money yet pretty much. So those are just like, I'm losing money on, but if you kind of just look at the, the two houses that I already had, keeping the lights on and, and really grateful for it. And this is a, a little bit uh, getting into the weeds here, but are, are you paying, are you paying interest only on those properties or is when you say covering the mortgage, is that actually uh, uh, making it some, some dent at all into the, oh, yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's a good, so I am paying the, the full mortgage amount. Um, so I guess, I guess I should count a little bit of profit. Yes. I, 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 so it's not, it's not spending it, cash. Yeah. And, and look, if they're like one of those houses that ha is housing the, the first 72 uh, clients that needs a new roof. So like it, at the end of all of this, I probably end up losing money somehow, but yeah, you're right. I am, uh, I am, I am paying down some gaining equity a little bit. Month yeah. Month. Okay. And so yeah, essentially, uh, um, changing your day-to-day -day life in the way that like putting a little money into a 401k would which is to say maybe like a, a little bit of peace of mind when you think about it but really like it's not going to change anything that you're doing day-to-day -day. right it's, yeah. it's not going to let you quit your day job and 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 put more time and effort into into bike lanes and uh representing the the less fortunate among us yeah exactly so hopefully people will travel again at some point yeah. Uh, have you seen, well, see, I guess, first of all, do you have your properties listed at all in a way that people can still book them moving forward? Yeah. So the, I, at this point, I just have the new February uh, purchase uh, listed as, as an Airbnb. Um, that's it. Uh, I can give you the URL if anyone's uh, looking for a month-long trip to <laughs> New Orleans. Um, but yeah, that house is, it's actually my nicest house and it's the biggest house. It's six bedrooms. Um, and so I have like one, one booking for like August, one booking for September, one for November. So they've started to trickle in. Um, we'll see if people end up having to cancel again. Obviously, like if the, the virus doesn't if right. keep running rampant. Because we love, because we love numbers on this show. What uh, uh, what percentage of your expected bookings um, do you have at this point based off of prior experience? Oh, uh, 
I don't know, like maybe 15%. Okay. Wow. 15%, yeah. Cause I, I feel like a different world. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, I, I think one of the things that I, for some reason have, have found myself putting a lot of like thought time into, uh, as I, as I like daydream is thinking about all of the, the various ways that like, uh, uh, little industry or industries are inadvertently affected or directly affected by COVID in ways that like you wouldn't necessarily, they like don't come immediately to mind. Like, okay. Uh, N95 mask manufacturers are like obviously drowning in business right now, right? Because like everyone needs masks and you, you cannot produce masks fast enough. I think it's always interesting to think about uh, what businesses are forward indicators of consumer confidence and where we see the broader health of the of the uh, both economy and uh, just human health moving forward because obviously those two are inextricably linked right now so i i think that airbnb bookings are kind of like a sign of the times in terms of consumer confidence and, and plans to uh adjust and and like what is and representative of the new normal so if you're at 15 percent moving of where you think you would be under normal circumstances we can talk about how the economy like maybe is getting back on its feet a little bit and people are making adjustments, but it sounds like those adjustments do not include a return to travel at all. No. And that 15%, we got to keep in mind that that's after like slashing the prices, the nightly, the nightly rate for, for right. places. So like normally in new Orleans, like the fall and the spring are a bit football season and festival season. We have, we do really well. It's not too hot. Um, and yeah, so the prices are just super low. So it's, it's not, it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to be a good year for money, but, but again, like that's, that's fine. Like if my family makes it out safe and I don't have to like go bankrupt, that's a big win for us this year, you know? So, um, I, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining, but again, that's kind of the part of the purpose of this podcast. I think it's to vent a little bit about yeah. been for everyone, especially these small businesses. No, a absolutely. This, this the podcast is a is an audio shoulder for people to cry on and to know that they are not alone in whatever it is they're doing, whether it's running, you know, a 40 person uh, promotional goods business or running a, a, a one person solopreneur side hustle. W whatever it is, COVID is affecting all of us. And we'll get through it together and basically coming out with it w without having to basically file for bankruptcy and, and with your health are like two very big wins, I think, coming out of all of this. Absolutely. So that's the plan. That's basically my current business plan is be able to pay off what the debts that I owe and just keep things kind of with the lights on until we get a vaccine or... I don't know how else this ends, honestly, but herd immunity. So people are able to travel again. Yeah, I hope it's not herd immunity, but just because that's going to be a lot of suffering. At the record-setting pace that we are at right now, it does seem like uh, it's a it's a race between herd immunity and a vaccine. I know that the, it seems like trials are are moving forward in a in a positive way, and I know there were just some news stories in the last couple of weeks about with just kind of a p positive positive inclinations, I guess, as to our, our 
what the future holds for us from a public health standpoint. Even if these uh, vaccines are able to be found to work and be and to be effective, we still have to produce like a couple hundred million of them just for the U.S. And like, that. it's not like you just flip a switch and it's like, oh, surprise, like it's here. It's like, no, that, that's like a gigantic manufacturing undertaking. And something like half of Americans are say they're unsure whether they would take a vaccine because of conspiracy theories. So we got a lot of fun stuff going on in America. I mean, one of the things that I've continued to touch on show after show is that if one city has implemented really strict rules and regulations around wearing masks and what businesses can stay open, and they see their COVID rates start to move in a positive direction, which is to say being reduced, if if the adjacent municipality or state is on the other side of the spectrum in terms of their regulations being really loose, then it doesn't really matter what you're doing. You're, you're, you're basically bearing the brunt of, of all of the negatives to get essentially none of the positives. This is the exact type of responsibility that I think should be borne by the, by the federal government. Yeah, it's a collective action problem. We need the leaders to, to tell us all how to keep each other safe. Right. When the national leaders refuse to wear masks and refuse to implement any sort of uh, national r- rules, not just like lighthearted guidelines. I think it's going to be really tough for us to move forward as a collective populace. And it should be no surprise that we have such an incredibly disproportionately large percentage of the world's COVID cases. Yeah, I know. I'm with you 100%. Okay, so I, we we kind of already touched on the on the the post covid kind of actions and and when i first started that segment we were kind of thinking that post covid would be something somewhat of of a near term proposition obviously that is not the case now so post covid really just means like how are you adjusting how and and continue to adjust and it sounds like uh, the first 72 is probably a, a, a good portion of your medium term plans at least could you see yourself working with them 2035 when we have COVID finally figured out? Would, is that something that you would continue to do or, or time to move back to like the, the true profit-seeking endeavor that, that it started out as? Yeah, well, that's a good question because I think there's, whether it's that nonprofit or, or just sw- switching some of the units to be permanent long-term rentals, like year leases, I haven't made any decisions about that because the world is still uncertain. But there is definitely something to be learned in having all my eggs in the Airbnb basket. Mm-hmm. And also in New Orleans, if we're talking about horrible global problems, we got climate change coming next. So yeah, having some having some other options, it's very likely that I'll keep uh, at least some of the units going as long-term rentals as I switch some of them back to short-term rentals if people are traveling again and then trying to find that balance. I think the growth that I attempted at the beginning of this year is going to be sufficient growth for for the short and medium term. I'm not going to be looking to really expand much further. If things come back to kind of normal short-term traveling, I'm pretty confident I'll have a good supplementary income to do the other things in life that I want to do. And I'm not trying to become rich from this. So that's kind of where I'm at now, but we're just going to have to wait and see. Like you said, it's going to be a little, it could be another year or two years. Who knows? As you bring up the dangers faced by New Orleans, specifically by climate change and thus rising sea levels, I know it has an aging levy system. Maybe the best thing to do right now, given historic unemployment levels, 
is to have a federal system, a federal program reminiscent of the New Deal under FDR that helped get us out of the Great Depression and continued great works in like uh, the under Eisenhower building the interstate highway s- system. Maybe we now is the time to do something like that to help prepare us for the rising sea levels and save cities like New Orleans, like Miami, etc. Obviously, we also need to be uh, addressing the supply side and reducing carbon emissions, essentially, immediately, like that needs to happen right now. That's not what this podcast is necessarily about. But uh, yeah, the sooner the better. Yeah, there's nothing there's nothing we can do except for like even that scale of a project from the government is not going to save New Orleans, it's not going to save Florida, it's not going to save many of the coastal areas in our in the world. The only thing is we got to stop making greenhouse gases, figure out how to do that. So, yeah, that's part of the bike lanes part of this whole thing. <laughs> that if we All right, so get... we're so we're talking we're talking bike lanes, we're talking buying local produce and reducing transportation costs of, of where you're uh, importing your produce from. Although as a Californian, uh, please support our produce and our economy. Thank you everybody. Hey, buy buy your avocados. Oh yeah, are they better? I buy mine from Mexico. Are they better from California? Uh everything's better in California, Ben. You know that. I know, I know. But no, I, I, I should have just a quick caveat. Those little things like bike lanes and whatever, they're not they're not the solution either. We need to get the oil and gas companies out of there, stop subsidizing them, tax that stuff to death, and transition a, a, a whole uh, global economy away from fossil fuels. I don't want to put this responsibility on individuals because it's the exact same thing as the pandemic that you were talking about. Whereas if you have leaders that don't acknowledge the problem, obviously we're not going to fix it. Um, and so I'm sorry, this is going to like boost your podcast up to the top 10 in political uh, podcasts. I was just going to say, this is definitely the most politicized uh, episode I've had so far, but I, I can't say I really disagree with anything you've said. So, Fair. all right. Uh, usually at this point, I ask our, our, our guest how our 14s of listeners can support them. Uh, but since unless they're visiting New Orleans and supporting your side hustle is going to be pretty difficult for most listeners. Tell us instead how listeners can support your day job. And then also, again, your your own sponsor, because I think that both of those ha- have very uh, just a, a, a plottable, laudable missions. And, and I think are, are doing things to, to make the world a better place and, and could use, you know, every little bit of support possible. Um, yeah. So for my my day job, I'm not going to solicit uh, donations to Catholic charities because it's just obviously the, the Catholic Church is is a is a huge global behemoth. And but yeah, immigrants need help. Uh, obviously, right now uh, there's a ton of nonprofits doing great work in uh, the immigration area and also in working for black rights um, with the whole Black Lives Matter movement. So if people haven't found good places to donate their money yet to those causes, um, I'm not sure I'm going to help that much. But I really like Raices, which is a a kind of Texas-based national nonprofit that's helping do a lot of great stuff for immigrants. And so, you know, please check out those things. That last one that you mentioned? R-A-I-C-E-S, Raices. Got it. And uh, if you want to come stay at one of my Airbnbs, that would be amazing. We can become friends. You could stay there for a month or two. Uh, my listings are at airbnb.com slash H. 
slash quantum structures. That's, that's the name of the LLC I founded because it's named after my childhood cat. But again, that's Airbnb slash H slash quantum structures. Or you can email me at bensaper at gmail.com. Yeah, we'd love to host you sometime. Right. Make a new friend. Maybe, maybe they can even meet Sammy. I have a vintage twin twin tandem that I will give you a ride around town. I'll give you a tour. We'll have a lot of fun. Wow, the, the personalized tour. I think that, that'll probably put someone over the edge. I'm, I'm sure. I, I better let you go and deal with uh, all, of, all of these inquiries you're going to be receiving. <laughs> uh, ben Safer, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, we'll have you back and, and hear how, how things have evolved and continue to play out o- over the course of the next, uh, well, who knows, three months, three years, three decades. We'll see. Yeah, thanks, Grant. It was such a pleasure to be on here. I really enjoyed it. Thank you to my guest, Ben Saper, truly an amazing human being. I feel like if he won the lottery, he would literally go be a pro bono immigration attorney. That's his dream. Incredible. Anyway, uh, my unsponsor of the show is a generalized reiteration of Ben's, just the support of local farm baskets. Subscribing to a local farm basket is a great way to support your local economy. You get delicious produce that keeps things fresh, pun intended. Instead of going out into public and into grocery stores, the only thing you're exposing yourself to are new fruits and veggies outside of your normal shopping list. And of course, a big emphasis of the show, once again, you get to support your local economy. Check out smallbizgoneviral.com for all episodes and updates, but more importantly, go there to tell me who I should interview next, what you like and loathe about this show, and then go white lie and rate this five stars and say you love it on any and all public forums, specifically Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thank you to Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates for use of their song Geronimo. Thank you to Pasty Design for being the only reason my website looks professional. Yes, she's my sister. Also, stats and stories today came from worldometer.com, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, Morning Brew, and NPR. If you know a small business owner who may or may not be overtly showing signs of stress, due to the impact of COVID on their business, share this podcast with them. Put differently, share this podcast with any small business owner you know. I promise they'll appreciate it. Someday this will all be over. Until then, stay safe, stay distant, and wear a freaking mask. From my windowless office in North Pacific Beach, recorded and produced before and after work hours, this is Small Biz Gone Viral. Viral.